This is the Strike Mesh Boil Podcast, presented by the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club. This week, we do a deep dive on the English bitter. We taste some commercial samples and homebrew and tell you why it's awesome. Welcome back to Strike Mash Boil. I'm Marco, president of Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, and I'm joined by my co-host, Phil. Hey, so this week, we've got a completely different show. We're going to dive into a specific beer style, review a series of commercial examples alongside some homebrew examples, and we're going to call this edition The Bitter Off. Uh, so joining us for this is the doc, Nick. Welcome back. Good to be here. Phil, all right, you got to help me out here. Uh, what the hell do you have lined up for us? What What's The Bitter Off? All right, so uh, a few weeks ago, we gave Spyglass a hard time about their English-style bitter. Uh, They posted on social media. It looked pretty murky. It was pretty dark, uh, not appetizing. And we got some feedback that maybe we were a bit harsh, especially because we made most of our comments on looks alone. Well, recently, an even more famous IPA brewery named Bissell Brothers posted on social media a video about their new English-style bitter that also looked murky as fuck. And this was being released in a nitro can to give that pub-style pour. And based on recent photos of the beer on Untapped, uh, the Haze Boys are going to fucking love this beer just on looks. Fortunately for us, Joe, Mr. Lactose, was able to grab a couple four-packs of that beer for us so we can actually taste this one. So then I swung through the packy, picked up a few imported British bitters, and to make it even more fun, Nick and I both have fresh homebrew-style bitters. So sitting in front of us, we have five beers split into two sets. Uh, First up, we have the Pale Bitters, uh, both in nitro cans. The first one is the Bissell Brothers Oi nitro can, and the other is the classic Boddington's Pub Ale with the nitro widget. And in the second set, we have some Ordinary Bitter, uh, a Ordinary Bitter, and uh, two Best Bitters. Uh, One of the Best Bitters is the classic Fuller's London Pride, and the other two are homebrews from me and Nick. I got a Best Bitter, and uh, Nick has an ordinary bitter. So before we dig in, Nick, why don't you walk us through BJCP category for these guys, which I believe is 11 British Nick, bitter. Nick, don't do that yet. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, Phil, I'm, I'm proud of you, buddy. I, I want you to know <laughs> I'm, I'm proud. I'm going to tell you why I'm proud of you because on uh, you know, folks that have been listening to the episodes know that you tend to hesitate when calling out breweries for the bullshit that they put in front of us, and you named both of them today, so I, I I feel like you've you've grown, pal. This is this is a huge moment for you. So great job. Thank you. And I got to tell you though, uh, Nick, you're going to have to help out folks that you know category eleven because I heard Phil say bitter like 46 times in that intro and there's best bitters esbs ordinary bitters is just fucking bitters all over the place so you're gonna have to clean this up for us because i'm i'm already lost absolutely a lot bitter is the name of the game for this category british bitter is one of those styles that's really hard to find here in the united states a brewery that brews this type of beer mostly because it's a usually a fairly low alcohol low carbonated beer made with mostly traditional english ingredients so it's not exactly the most popular style here in the United States. We love our big brash beers, obviously. But if you can find a brewery that brews these types of beers, it is absolutely golden. You found a great brewery. This is a very difficult, it can be a difficult style to brew. But before we do that, let's just go into a couple of the subcategories of Category 11. So as Phil had mentioned, there's Ordinary Bitter, there is Best Bitter, and then there's Strong Bitter. So the differences between the three are relatively minor. 
there's some differences in the ingredients, but generally the differences between them are just alcohol and the original gravity. So for all of these beers, basically you want to use traditional English ingredients if you can. Some of these beers you can make with American hops, but you generally want to do more traditional British ingredients or English ingredients. So this includes for the malt, you want something like Maris Otter or Golden Promise that's going to give you a little bit more character than something like a traditional clean American two-row. For the hops, you want to try and do English. These Kent Goldings, Fuggles, there's a whole bunch of them. You can go American, but you want to keep it light. You don't want something to be over the top. This isn't an American pale ale. Remember, this is a English bitter. It's a little bit more balanced. And then finally, yeast, which is probably the most important. You want a, a yeast that's going to be very expressive, that's going to give off a lot of esters. So ale yeast, something like um, the London ale, uh, the dry English ale. There, you have a lot of options you can use that it's going to produce some really great character. So this, the, all these beers, all these substyles, they all kind of, they're generally light amber to copper in color. They have their the pale malt, maybe a little bit of uh, amber malt or toasted malt. They're generally going to be balanced more towards the bitter end, which is why they're called bitters. So the idea is that you have this delicate malt profile, but then you have that, that bitter finish that makes you want to drink more and more. So that that's really the key to kind of get that balance right. They generally want to go more towards the bitter end, but at the same time, not as bitter as something like an American Pale Ale or an American IPA. So you kind of want to find that balance, right? And if you look at the guidelines, it kind of gives you a good idea where you want to, where you want to stand. The other hallmarks about this beer, while in competitions, obviously, we're getting them in bottles, they're carbonated. If you really want to have this beer and have it shine, try and find it on cask or drink it off of cask. Carbonation really kills this style. Again, we're talking about low alcohol delicate beers carbonation just really wipes away all those kind of trademarks of the beer and really washes them out so lower the alcohol the better i think that's about sums it up again each all three subcategories are, are a little bit different based off the ingredients the strong bitter is probably the most different because that can go up to like, like six and a half percent and so at that point the the bitter component and the malt component are actually pretty well balanced in fact most people say a strong bitter is the most balanced beer out there. It's very, very balanced. While the other two are going to be more leaning on the bitter side as far as uh, that malt bitterness goes. You, you said something that I'm sure is going to perk up uh, a lot of people's ears, uh, especially um, newer home brewers or people that are, uh, you know, the haze boys out there. When you start talking about cask beer, you know, Cask beer is pretty well known, but I'd say, you know, there's lots of uh, home brewers that aren't that familiar with it. Uh, and you said low to no carbonation. People are like, you know, I'm sure folks are like, the fuck is this guy talking about flat beer? And yeah, I mean, uh, cask beer is essentially low carb, not low carb, low carbonation, but not low carb, but it's not keto. Uh, so low carbonation beer, that's cool, not cold. In America, people are used to these super cold, higher effervescent beers. You know, an IPA is not so much high effervescence, but definitely cold beers. Uh, that is just, uh, this is a very different take on, on beer. And we love it, which is why we're doing this. And we're going to, um, it's Monday night, you know, I, I need an excuse to drink five beers. So why not do a bitter <laughs> off, right? Uh, and so I think that this is great for us. But for folks out there, like if you order cask, just be prepared. It's going to be a little bit warmer and it's going to probably be pretty flat. But when you're a, a true, pure beer enthusiast, this is what we call real ale. Absolutely. And I mean, you really nailed the point about temperature. Again, same thing. These are delicate beers. They have delicate components, aromas, and tastes. And the warmer the beer is, the more that's going to come out. So it's something to be prepared for. But this is how English 
used to drink their beers all the time. I think in England, if you go there now, you have a lot more variety. There's a lot more IPAs now. I mean, that's that's always the most popular beer to drink anyway. But if you can find a pub or somewhere that's that's pouring traditional cask beer that's warm, I, w- I don't like to say I don't like to use the word flat. That sounds insulting. It do- it will have a little bit of carbonation, but and also warm is probably insulting as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to yeah. be around what 50, 55 degrees, so a bit warmer yeah. than a normal beer on tap. A little lower carbonation and the whole idea is drinkability this beer is all about drinkability you drink a lot of this beer it's low alcohol low carbonation you can slam pint after pint this is what this is what you do this is what this beer is for well i've got five pints to slam uh tonight (laughs) so i phil we're gonna do we're separating this right we're gonna do a couple of them first and then we're gonna dive into the other three after right yeah, we're going to start with the two that are on Nitro, uh, which is the Boddingtons and the Bissell Brothers. All right, I got to crack these bad boys open. Now, uh, they have widgets in the cans, uh, which means they're going to. Boddingtons does. Oh, the Bissell Brothers does not. Oh, Bissell doesn't. Okay, so, uh, all right, so I'll, it should be interesting because I know with the widget, Guinness does the widget, so I should hear something a little bit different uh, upon opening it. So, for those who don't know what a widget is, so it's this little plastic ball that they put in a can. When they package the can, they, they they throw in nitrogen in it, and as the 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 beer is canned and it's pressurized, what happens is the pressure will force beer actually into this little ball, this little widget. It has like these little tiny holes that are drilled into it. So as soon as you crack open the beer, all that CO two that's inside the ball and the beer will come rushing out and create the bubbles and that cascading effect as you pour it into the glass itself. So. That's the purpose of that widget to sort of kind of show you or uh, to mimic. That's what I'm looking for. Mimic the whole nitrogen pour that you get from something like a Guinness. And so we want to pour these pretty aggressive too. Yes, you do. All right, let's do Let me do it. All right, so that was oi. Yeah, while you're doing that, if uh, for those listeners out there, if you are in the UK and you, you go to a pub and you're looking for uh, real ale, um, you want to look for the cask marquee. It's a sign that uh, is usually posted outside of a pub, and that is a sign that they not only do real ale, but they have been certified by camera and to uh, serve the best pint around. One more note. So nitrogen is different than cask. So let's Correct. keep that in mind. Yeah. Nitrogen. Yeah, exactly. So nitrogen gas is a way to sort of mimic the cask effect. Basically nitrogen bubbles are smaller than CO2 bubbles. So when you have them in a beer, you get a much more smoother taste. If you ever had Guinness on nitrogen or yeah, from nitrogen tap, you know, that, that velvety texture that you get with that. And you can do that with something like a like a English bitter that we have here in Boddington's. It's not that uncommon, but it's sort of supposed to kind of mimic the whole cask. That sort of again, it's not flat, <laughs> but sort of that lower carbonation. That sort of that that texture that you get. All right, I'm going to open the Boddington's and kind of hold it a little bit close to the microphone and hope this thing doesn't explode on me, uh, so that folks can maybe hear what it sounds like when you're opening uh, one with a widget. So let's see. That was really fucking good, man. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's it's loud. <laughs> it's that nitrogen. It's like I feel like a gun went off. <laughs> um, I got to tell you, though, I, so I, I opened, obviously, both of them. And uh, I'm going to take the looks out of it for a second. That Bissell Brothers beer, I don't know if you guys have experienced this with yours. <laughs> it smelled hardcore sulfur pouring out of that can. Like, 
it waft punched me right in the face sulfur as a porter. Now it's it's sort of aired out a little bit, but right out of that can, I'm like, holy crap, this smells like I just ripped a huge one in my my uh, in my office here. That's it. I didn't get that. I got a lot of. I mean, it definitely smells like. Uh, so when I first saw this can, I just thought it was gonna be the typical Americanized version of a bitter. So basically. You know, low alcohol, but they're going to add American hops to it. That's that's a thing that happens, and it can be fine, but it's not what I would call traditional. But when I smelled this, they're definitely using some English hops in here because it's quite oh, for sure. It's, it's quite it's it, it's fruity, so you get maybe some of that Americanized version of of the hops, and maybe there is. It's fruity, but it's it's also quite herbal as well. Um, it's you don't get a lot of citrus. The fruitiness is more apple and, and other stone fruits. It's 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 pretty interesting. I'm convinced that Phil's favorite hop in the entire world is in this thing, which is Fuggles. It might be because I get I do get some earthiness in it. So yeah. I hate Fuggles. Uh, and I got I got to tell you, like the there's such a stark difference in how these two beers look. Um, you know, we were when we started talking about the uh, Spyglass uh, bitter. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we didn't like about what they posted um, and mainly because it, it didn't look like a bitter, but it just, you know, the lighting was bad. It looked really murky. It looked, it looked really flat. It looked flat. Like we're not talking low carbonation. It looked still. Um, so there was a, you know, a bunch of issues we had with it. Then Bissell brothers comes out with theirs and, you know, they take better pictures or they took a better picture of theirs, but it's still fucking hazy as hell beer. Yeah. And, is, and this looks like it's dry hopped. Well, that, that's what I thought. It smells like it's dry hop. Yeah. There's, yeah. Definitely a, there's definitely a hop nose on that. And I suspect it's that. I suspect it's probably their yeast they're using too. I, I can't imagine they're using a yeast that crashes out that fast. But I will say the Boddington's, you know, it's gorgeous. But I can't help but think, I wonder if they filter that beer because it is... I, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a, that clear of a beer. That's insane. It, it's absolutely filtered or or run through a centrifuge or or one of those things. A lot of British yeah. breweries do that. To, their goal is to even in cask they will find the cask and to drop it bright. You know, hence a bright tank, bright beer is is huge to them. So it's it's definitely been filtered or uh, or run through a centrifuge before uh, packaging. Now I, I've already tasted the two of them and I immediately have. A preference, and I'm not going to sh- say what it is quite yet. But Nick, you're you're our guy. You're you're the national BJCP judge. You know what? What you've I'm seen because um, I can see you. You've uh, tasted both of them at this point. What do you think? Yeah. So I guess one thing I, I I failed to mention. What's really interesting about British bitters, even though there's that bittering component, believe it or not, oftentimes there isn't much of a hot flavor in these beers, and that's one thing at first. When I first tried the Boddington's, the first thing that came to mind, it's like, there's that bitterness. There really isn't any hot flavor in it. It's just that grain multi-sweetness, and then you have that bitterness that kind of finishes the beer fairly dry. So this is just, I mean, the Boddington's is just classic, classic English bitter. I mean, you can't really say anything bad about it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really good. You know, it's not the most flavorful bitter in the world. You don't get a whole lot of maybe fruity esters from the yeast. They're probably using something very clean. Um, but Boddington's also, I'm assuming it's owned by some conglomerate. So I'm not surprised that you're not getting... Okay. Yes. I'm not surprised you're not getting something really 
interesting, but at the same time, I mean, it's, it's classic. I mean, there's, there's no wrong, nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, to what you said earlier, so it, it obviously has a bitterness that is unmistakable, right? So it's there, yeah. but it's, it, it makes you want to go back. Like I want to, like I finish it, it finishes dry. I feel like, oh, I need more. I need more. I need more. Like it's a, it's something that I could drink pints of and mm -hmm. feel like I could just keep drinking it and, you know, never have my thirst quenched because it just makes me want to go back to it. Absolutely. And because it's so, it's a low alcohol beer, it's not that filling. So, I mean, you can just keep going back to it. I mean, it's like, you don't have to think about it. You just, just drink it for hours upon hours and you'd probably be fine at the end of the night. Yeah. You know, this is, um, I don't know if I've said this on this podcast, but I, I often reference the wise words of Carl Metzenmaker from our club who says that, you know, sometimes we just like to drink beer, not sip beer. And these are the kinds of beers that you drink. You can have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them and feel pretty good about it. Like if if a beer like this has me constantly going back to it and it's eight percent, my wife's not going to be happy because I'm going <laughs> to she'll be watching the kids. I'm going to be passed out on the floor. It's not going to be a good night for me. But for this, I feel like I can have a marathon football game and not have this total alienating style of beer that I'm going to get sick of. Like I could just drink it the whole time. All, all I think about it when I drink this is watching a movie where there's a scene in a pub, a bunch of rowdy people are watching soccer and they're just drinking pint after pint. I mean, this is, that's what this or football, I guess, to be proper. Uh, what's uh, hooligan? What do they call them? Soccer hooligans? Yeah, soccer hooligans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Football hooligans. All right. So then talk to us about Oi. Yeah. So this is a really interesting beer. Very different than very, the very, cans. very different. Yeah. I mean, looks, looks alone. Um, obviously, while they say this beer was on nitrogen, there's no widget. So when you poured it in a glass, you didn't get that cascading effect like you do with the Boddingtons. And well, and so uh, nitrogen, does CO2 dissolve in beer? Is that what it does? Absorb yes. beer. Nitrogen doesn't do that. So nitrogen, it does around the beer, right? Well, it does dissolve, but it, it comes out solution much faster than the CO two. From well, what I, I think the pressure you need, like I guess a brewery could do it, but you need like special, yeah, special yeah. equipment that will actually push enough pressure to get the nitrogen to infuse with the beer, whatever the hell that's called. And yeah, so like the Boddingtons is low carb right low carbonation so oh, for sure. I, can, I can tell that it's a nitrogen beer i feel like with the bissell beer that if i feel like this it's much higher carbonation that it, it almost suggests to me that it was maybe conditioned in some fashion or even um force carved with a little bit of co2 and then canned with nitrogen yeah did, I, did they I, say that yeah they say that it was uh canned with nitrogen but they didn't they don't say that they they um carbonated it with co2 first i mean you'd have to to get it carbonated but uh they don't they didn't go into any details on i think um, well i mean i think both beers that. were carbonated but yeah at oh, level, just at really different levels yeah but i mean even the boddington's was carbonated it's also has a bunch of nitrogen in it and we have the nitrogen it really flushes everything out i mean that's that i think that's one of the goals of that but yeah the Bissell brothers i mean you can just look at the foam and the head completely different the body tins is you know it almost looks like a that crema you get on a nice espresso or a latte right it's a very thick dense head from the nitrogen bubbles while the oi again it just looks like a traditional head you get from a, a pale ale which is fine fluffy it looks great 
great lacing, but um, quite different than the Boddington's. And again, the OI doesn't have that widget in it. So even though they did say it was pressurized with nitrogen, I don't know if it really had a big effect or had a, an effect that they thought it would because when i poured it i didn't see that cascading effect like i saw with the boddingtons the flavor profile you know talk about that because it is so different yeah so i'll let you talk about it if you want to yeah. describe it yeah. it's definitely there's a lot of hot flavor in this beer compared to the bottoms it's night and day a lot of hot flavor the hops in the the oi much fruitier a little bit herbal but they definitely that that fl hot flavor is definitely there. It, it, is it appropriate? Is it over so, the top? It seems over the top. It, yeah, it, it it probably is. But if you look at the guidelines, it does. The guidelines do allow some flexibility as far as hot flavor. I think you can say low to moderate or low to moderate high. This could fit in there, but I have to admit it's it's getting pretty close to like a, a American Pale Ale for me. Just the the. The bitterness and that hot flavor it's it's pretty high and and i think it hides some of those really nice small flavors i mean that's the problem when you do that you sort of hide those what, what, what do they use phil like they use uh gold they promise use, uh, and golden else. promise and main grown oats yeah those are really delicious delicate flavors that are gonna get lost in a beer like that with all that hot so i don't know yeah it's interesting that yeah uh you know uh... I think this plays into what we've been, what you guys have heard me talk about, you guys have heard us talk about on this show. It's we have a brewery that is renowned at this point for their New England IPA game. Like these guys have been, you know, when they release uh, Swish, people line up. Uh, they go bananas for their New England IPAs. They've started doing some distribution. You'll see it in, in some package stores here in Massachusetts now. This is a, a prime example of somebody who's stepping outside of their norms and trying a, a, a different style of beer, and you can just taste their influence in it. This is not a classic style of an English bitter, and it's not that it's a bad beer because I don't think it's a bad beer. It doesn't look that great when you know what it is. If you told me this was an English pale ale, if you told me this was an English pale ale, even an English IPA, I'd be like, I, I kind of see it. But you, I can, you can just tell it has that American uh, IPA brewery influence uh, that just has me a little bit disappointed. It's a little off balance for what I expect because I'm expecting a, a bitter. It's, a, it's just not. I, I, I totally prefer the Boddingtons to this. So Phil, maybe you can comment on this. I think you may have this information. So according to the can, this is Nitro Pub Ale. Do they advertise this as? British or English at all, or is that just what our imagination? No, they do advertise it as a uh, inspired by an English beer, um, okay. specifically from their annual trips to the UK. And I'm, I uh, forget where I saw it on their uh, website or on their, um, might have been on their Instagram, but they did call it a bitter. Okay, yeah. I mean, whenever, whenever I see, whenever I see the word inspired, a big red flag goes up. It just means that. Oh yeah, this is our inspiration, but we're going to throw a ton of American hops in it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, on the side of the can, it says this beer has been dosed with liquid nitrogen to recreate the creamy head and smooth drinkability of a proper British pint. Oh, that's an interesting way to do it. Liquid nitrogen, huh? Um, I, I didn't even read the side of the can. Yeah, it does say to shake the can gently. So maybe I fucked this up, but I because I did not shake I, the can. But... I did shake it. The uh, I poured a can. Uh, when I first got it, cause I was like, okay, I got to try this. Even though it's dry month for me, I'm going to drink it. Uh, and, uh, I shook it and it looked just like this. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, they they say to shake it. So if if this thing had cleared out at all, it would, oh yeah, it'd be a, it would have yeah. right back in suspension anyway. So I got one one little note for you. You want to guess how much that Boddington's four pack cost? Four pack. All right. So these are they're sixteen ounces. Although the can looks bigger than the uh, Bissell can. The Bissell's a, a pint too. Yeah. Bissell's also a pint. It must be narrower. Um, I don't know. Nine bucks. And the Bissell brothers. Well, I know how much it is. I'm going to let Nick right. uh, on that one. It's got to be between sixteen and twenty dollars. So the Bissell brothers was fifteen. Okay. And Redstone was selling the Boddingtons for six seventy nine a four pack. What? Yeah. All right. So, like, I mean, Anheuser Busch and Bev, right? So AB and Bev. So there's a there's a certain drop in price, probably because of the conglomerate level. But for less than seven bucks, you can get a four pack of Boddingtons, double that price for the Bissell Brothers. For beers like this, I. And we've talked about this for uh, lower gravity beers that other breweries make that are still in that fifteen. What am I paying fifteen dollars for? Well, what, I, what I, is, I can't. Four percent, four and a half percent is the OI, and um, Boddington's is four point seven. Yeah, I mean, what the fuck? I can't remember the last time I paid less than ten dollars for any kind of four pack or six pack. I just I can't believe that price. That's just insane to me. Yeah, I, had, I mean, you think about it. so uh, it's clear that Bissell Brothers is just making this beer more expensive, right? I mean, they're they're putting a bunch of hops in this, yeah. um, which obviously is going to drive the cost up Boddington's. Um, but they call out on their website that the hop they use is Willamette. That is not an expensive hop. We're no, not talking not. Citra. We're not talking even Citra's not that expensive anymore. So let's go Galaxy, right? They're not putting Galaxy in this. I'd imagine they're, what was their oat? It's a local source the main oats. oats. Yeah, that's probably a little more expensive for the local. And also, stuff, they're I mean, they're Bissell Brothers. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, sure. I have to admit, like, I think they're they're both. I think they're different enough. Where I think I, I don't think you can compare them. I Not really don't. I think they're completely different beers, and I think they're both solid for what they are. I like the Bissell Brothers. I, I actually, you know, I, maybe it came across I was shitting on them, but I really like the beer on its own. If I wasn't comparing to something else, I think it's a really solid beer and a, a pretty good price point for a Bissell Brothers beer. Um, I'm actually pretty impressed by it. I think the whole nitro thing is a little gimmicky. I don't think that really came through, but the beer itself, it's it's different enough and still flavorful. And where else are you going to get a beer like this anywhere in this country? Like it's it's pretty unique, I think. Yeah, you know, I'm not shy to shit on a beer if I if I think a beer is is garbage. I don't think this is that the Oi is a bad beer. I prefer Boddington's because I think Boddington's is more of what I was expecting when I'm having an English bitter. If again, if I was drinking this on my own, I'd be totally happy. And if you told me it was an English pale or even even an American pale, I'd be like, this is a a pretty good beer. I'd be I'd be happy with it. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our next three. If you like what you've been hearing on our show, hit that subscribe or follow button on your podcast service. And if you have any ideas or feedback for us, leave us a review or shoot us a DM on Instagram at StrikeMashBoil. Or join the conversation in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash MVHBC. Now let's do the next three beers. Uh, we're going to start with the Fuller's London Pride, which is a deep amber bronze colored beer. It's... Um, kind of the definitive if you will bitter that maybe like timothy taylor's landlord this one is very specific and there are a lot of uh, clone recipes out there so it's target challenger north down hops uh, and it's 
very prominent those three then we've got my beer which is also a best bitter and it is also a clone of a london pride there's a lot of recipe development done into this one looked at a bunch of uh, british cascale forums and this is actually based off of a photo of a fuller's brewing log and they actually do a party guile style brew where they do the esb then the um, london pride and then a third beer uh their regular ordinary bitter uh, so I thought that was fascinating the way they do those beers. And what was interesting, their brewing log called out pale chocolate, which none of the other clone recipes out there called out that pale chocolate. So that's in there. Uh, I didn't have North Down Hop, so it's just cho- uh, Target and Challenger. 3.8%. And the beer that we are drinking is actually cast conditioned packaged for you guys i don't know if that carbonation really held up when it got canned and and brought to you Um, but i'm drinking it off of a off a cask off of a beer engine so sorry guys uh and the other one's nick's ordinary bitter um nick why don't you tell us about that yeah so this beer is sort of a combination of a couple recipes i came across basically it's very simple like most bitter recipes generally are it's mostly I want to say 80 to 90 percent floor malted maris otter it has about a quarter pound of victory malt to get sort of that biscuity character cracker character and then unfortunately i didn't have any crystal malt <laughs> so on brew day so i use care munich 2 because that's what oh, i had and care munich 2 while it's technically uh, it's a german crystal malt it's not really a very strong crystal malt and as the guy's Take a look at the color of this beer. It's pretty pale. It, sh- it if I use a traditional crystal malt, it would have been a lot more copper, like these other beers that we're we're taking a look at. So that was sort of the the um, I guess the the audible that I had to call on uh, on game day. The yeast itself is the I think it's the Timothy Taylor yeast. And I forgot what it's called, but I really like that yeast profile. I think it's, it produces really nice fruity esters. Uh, really nice kind of that English character. And I, I think I dry hopped this one too. So I dry hopped this with a half an ounce of, oh yeah, the, the hops are all East Kent Goldings. So, and a pretty traditional bittering schedule. So a bitter flavor, maybe a touch at, at flame out, and then like a half ounce that I that I dry hop, which is why when you look at it, it's not very clear. It has that haziness to it. So you guys, um, the two of you have got to be feeling pretty confident about your beers if we have a classic example, London Pride, and we're putting your two homebrews up against it. I mean, like, Jesus, I can't wait to open these fuckers up and try them. But I'm uh, I'm, I'm surprised that you guys want to say, hey, yeah, let me throw mine in with the classic example. To be fair, mine isn't compared to London Pride, so I'm oh, not going so to call it already. <laughs> and I'm uh, uh, drinking it for the first time uh, side by side. I find the London Pride hops, the bitterness, to be very bright, very punchy, very prominent. I'm mine is a little, a little lower. Uh, I think part of that might be a little bit of temperature. I think the London Pride's uh, a little too cold. Uh, mine uh, was poured off a cask at 55 degrees, and it's been sitting around for a little over an hour. So, Phil, remind me. Remind me, did you say yeah. that your beer is a relative clone of London Pride? It's, it's an attempt at a clone, yeah. So this is the first time I've ever brewed a bitter. I've done uh, golden ale, British golden ales. I've done milds, but this is my first bitter. I remember reading something. This was years ago when I first started homebrewing. So I, I also was interested in, in cloning the London Pride. There's been a lot of attempts on this. Apparently, their fermentation schedule is insane. I don't know if yeah. you read about this or not. Yeah, they yeah. go 
they start at one temperature, they drop it a couple degrees. Three days later, they, they bump it up a couple degrees and they drop it another three degrees a couple of days later. And supposedly that's how they get that, that ester profile, which is very unique to London Pride. Okay. It really kind of shines through. Uh, Timothy Taylor, there's actually some really great YouTube videos out there from Timothy Taylor. They they talk about their brewing process and their fermentation. They're using uh, cube-shaped fermentation vessels. They're doing open fermentation. And, uh, of course, they've got generations on their yeast that go back a long way compared to you know what we buy fresh. I, I just uh, fermented at uh, 68 and let it go as a 15 gallon batch. So Marco, you're actually uh, sitting on five gallons of this in your basement somewhere. Can't wait. Can't wait to break out the beer engine and, and have it on cask for myself. I, I will say what I am learning from this pouring experience that I did uh, just now is I will not be canning beer off the cask because no, this thing no, no. is like a glass of water still yeah. flat um yeah. but yeah should we do you want to start phil where do you want to start here let's start with the london pride let's start with the okay. uh let's start with the commercial example yeah a, i get so even thinking back to the other two bitters that we did it smells totally different like i get way more like fruity aromatics from this than i did from those mm-hmm. other ones yeah i get a lot of caramel Oh, yeah, too, yeah. Um, especially a lot more compared to the others. The taste itself is where it really shines. Um, the nose I kind of find sort of ordinary, but the taste, those those hops and those esters, I mean, they just combine. They're just complete magic. I mean, it's just it's a really great tasting beer. Yeah, now man. you understand I, I, why I was saying it was bright. It's just it's punchy. It's oh yeah. It's, um, I, I think that's what I mean by bright i guess it, it's yeah, yeah it's, i don't know both. what word to use i'm not i don't have the training that you have it's just to me this is just so balanced and bright and punchy and, and in your face without being like uh an alchemist style hot profile right and it's not it's not an american ipa it's a very balanced maltiness the caramel all that yeah we were talking about this before we hit the record button just like you guys it's been a long time since i've had london pride and i'm saying like man it's been too long since i've had london pride because this beer is fucking good yeah i mean it's 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 a classic for a reason it's just delicious they really nail the balance between the caramel malt the herbal spicy hoppiness and those fruity esters from their their yeast and it's like i said it's just it's a great combination that was it 4.7 percent yeah i mean it's fantastic and also really different than the boddington's earlier right Mm -hmm. so it's uh, obviously a different type of bitter but does a lot of the same similar things that i thought that boddington's did where it has that that hit of bitterness that has me craving more like i take a sip and it has those really great uh, esters uh, some of the the fruity characters the maltiness but it finishes nice and bitter that has me just wanting to keep picking this glass up and the london pride is what's the abv on this 4.7 yeah i mean it's just like another just crushable beer it's i mean that's standard strength but it's a a beer that i could drink several of them yeah Yeah, and when it's on cask in the uk it's a little lower it's like 4.1 or or somewhere around there and i've had it in in london and in a pub and oh man on cask it's a little creamier maybe those hops aren't nearly as punchy but yeah i mean this is just a beer you want to keep going back for um just just you want to go back up when the glass is empty go back up to the bar and you know one more I will say this, I, I kind of prefer if it was a little bit lower alcohol. Like, I'm drinking this now, I'm like, yeah. I could sort of taste the alcohol in this, even though it's 4.7%. It's definitely bigger and 
a little bit more fuller. And I, I think I'd want it a little bit lower, personally. That's an unfortunate part of a lot of these British beers. The Boddington's as well as at an export strength. Um, mm -hmm. This I would call it an export strength. When you're actually in pubs in the UK, all these beers are down lower, close to about 4%. They think that we Americans just want these big, boozy beers, which is probably true. But you go to an event like uh, Nirax, uh, New England Real Ale Exhibition, and you actually get all these real ales uh and they are i mean good luck fine they definitely have stuff over like five six percent but i mean out of maybe the 60 or 70 casks it's probably less than 10 that are over six percent I, yeah, I don't I, know if this is true or not but you know i i always thought and you guys can correct me but i always thought the reason why it was slightly higher strength for an export beer was to survive the travel Yes, that's that's where I was going with that. I think okay. that's why they do it. Yeah, okay, I mean, right. you, you, you sort of have to. I think trying to transport overseas and let it sit on warm shelves and buttfuck nowhere, USA, yeah. 3% beer is not going to survive that. I mean, it's just going to yeah. be a mess at that point. So. Yeah, and, and uh, Phil, sounds like you've had the pleasure, and I have not, of having probably having this beer pretty fresh. It's got to be a whole different experience. You know, Cascales are going to be... Uh, even in pubs in the UK, they're probably only three, maybe four weeks old. Um, so very much like how we chase the freshest of the freshies on the IPAs. Over there, that's standard issue for their cask ales. So sort of a recent phenomenon in the craft beer industry has been the transition from a can date to a best buy date. Yeah. So is there a standard rule of thumb to track backwards from a Best Buy date to know when this was produced? I think it would probably be up to the the brewer. Like um, Sam Adams has been doing that for a very, very long time, and I want to say their date is based on like six or eight months. Um, I, I, I don't think there's a standard. I like the Candon date. You know, let me know when it was packaged so I can figure out when I think which, you know, then you're putting a lot on the consumer to have a brain. That's a big problem nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I actually like, and th this might be just because of how I feel about, you know, the Hayes boys right now, but when you put a can on date and that person sees it, it's been, you know, seven days, they pick, they go to the brewery and the, the can's seven days old. It's like the end of the fucking world because yeah. it's like, how dare you not serve, give me a beer that was canned today, like literally off the canning line and into my fucking car. Uh, yeah. So I, I actually can appreciate this as a good way to combat it, to say it's best by this date, but we're right. not going to deal with that bullshit. Cause that's Which, the bottle we have a best by date is October of 21. You know, that's uh, what nine months from today. So Marco Hayes boys, they're not, they ain't drinking this shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> no chance in hell. Do you, do you see how bright that is? I mean, you could read the newspaper through. Yeah, that. again, oh, I mean, shit. it's it's similar to the Boddingtons. I, I wonder if they're they're filtering. I mean, I know oh, like absolutely. the, I mean the Fuller the, the Fuller. This is Fuller's, right? Am I crazy? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the Fuller's yeast is notorious for dropping clear. It drops like a brick. In fact, yeah. Um, it's the White Labs O2. It's almost every brewery uses this lab at some point or every brewery uses this lab every brewery uses this yeast at some point <laughs> and it does drop so i can see that clarity but again that's i mean that's that's insane that's clarity for clear. yeah yeah and, and so just going back to haze boys drinking these types of beer our uh, resident haze boy joe on i actually saw right before we jumped on today 
uh, he posted side-by-side photos on our uh, Facebook page of his latest beers on draft. One of them was opaque as fuck. And the other one was, uh, w- which was his, you know, standard lactose New England IPA. I don't know if there's lactose in it, but I just assume everything there's he no makes lactose has lactose. It. It's got to be lactose. <laughs> and the other one was a Czech pills that was crystal clear. So, uh, you know, maybe it's just the home brewer thing. I'm sure that Czech pills had lactose in it too, because it's just what he does. But there are some of those Hayes boys that'll do it, although they are few and far between. Should we move on to the next beer? Yeah, which one? Which one you want? Mine or yours? We should do yours because that's the direct comparison. Sure. Right? So, first of all, yours is yeah, yours is like flat as a board. Sure. For uh, you guys, mine is creamy AF because I, I actually switched the um, ah, I switched the sparkler on mine to the uh, smallest hole so I get that super creamy northern pour. Which uh, anybody out there in listener land that now we're getting into cask speak, sorry. So your your um, what yeast did you use for yours? I used uh, I think I used Imperial Pub. I was having okay. a hard time finding. Um, that should be the fuller uh, strain, right? Or am I actually, wrong? Actually, that, that is that's uh, that's uh, the same. That's the ESB yeast. So that is okay. the fuller yeast. Yeah, yeah. Well, so here's here we go. You can, you can compare the two. I mean, these should technically be the same yeast strains, maybe not. But like yours is yeah. definitely not as clear as a fuller's. I mean, it's there's still, a little bit. I think in in homebrew world, that is pretty pretty clear without putting gelatin in the beer. It's eh. not. It's not super clear. So yeah, I, I would say though that the beers smell totally different. Yeah, the aroma on them. Um, I actually uh, am Phil from yours. I'm getting almost like some uh, roasted malt character in the aroma. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm not sure what your grain bill was there, but I definitely pick up on a roast character. Uh, the taste is I put them in the same ballpark. Like I, I think there's some similarities there, but the and this could be because of the lack of carbonation, because carbonation will certainly bring out some stuff. Absolutely. But the brightness that we talked about with the London Pride is missing in yours. Like yours is a pretty balanced, easy drinking bitter. It doesn't have as much bitterness, doesn't have as much of the floral, fruity character, doesn't have as much of the yeast esters. Um, it's probably just a standard bitter, uh, but the the London Pride, you can tell, is just yeah. like that slight notch above in each one of the the buttons. You know, this is probably a case for where home brewers, you know, use a, a piece of software like, say, Brewfather or Beersmith. And my calculation came out to about 34 IBUs on this. And this is a case where there's a bunch of experiments out there on brewlosophy, which, eh, but homebrewers don't get the same level of hop utilization as professional brewers do no matter what beer smith calculates out for you and this is probably a pretty good example because the what i was shooting for was a very similar similar level of ibus to london pride and it's clearly not there and i don't use a hop filter i don't use a hop screen i don't have any of that um, just toss the hot pellets right in. 75-minute boil, so you would expect uh, to nail your IBUs. But I, I just don't think homebrewers – and this isn't just me and just this one beer. That's kind of something I've noticed over the years is homebrewers never get that level of hop utilization that you think you're getting. And, and so why are we getting the roast in this? Uh, so Crystal 80, Crystal 120, Pale Chocolate, those will all give you a little bit of roast. Well, and um, it almost has like, so roasted malt, but also like a roasted coffee. Yeah, so I... I, I that Pale Chocolate. 
I completely agree with everything Marco just said, which is a fucking miracle, by the way. Um, <laughs> That's a, a true story, and I'm glad this is being recorded because it should this never happen. This is the evidence right here. But yeah, no, I think the pale chocolate was a mistake. Um, I know that was in the recipe. Yeah, That's in their recipe. Yeah, the the. Uh, I I don't think it is to be quite honest. I think whatever I I'd be shocked. Whatever they're I will using, send you the photograph. Yeah, okay. no, you know um, they are probably buying custom roasted malts for them. They're not just going to the shelf like we are and just buying. Yeah, maybe I mean chocolate. But I agree with Marco. Like I get a roast coffee and it's very mm-hmm. inappropriate for the style. I think that, yeah. that, and I think that really blankets everything else that you have going on. Mm-hmm. I think the I think everything else on the beer is great. It's a little wordy tasting and smelling. Okay. Um, which I don't know if that's because it's young or packaging. I mean, I don't know. But other than that, I think I think Marco's right. I think you're on the right track. A lot of the same I think a lot of the malt flavors are the same. It's the hops that are I think it's where you're missing. You're missing that punch. I'm probably, um, I wonder if I'm missing because I didn't use that North Down. Um, mm-hmm. That might be part of it. North Down is supposed to be quite, quite bitter. It comes across as quite bitter and kind of can provide a problem. That. Yeah. Yeah. You know how hard it is to find North Down. Oh, don't don't even get me about North Down. I when I tried brewing this beer, I couldn't find North Down. This was like seven years ago. It's still yeah. impossible to find. What's the ABV on yours, Phil? Uh, it's just shy of four. Um, like three eight, three nine, something like that. Oh wow, wow. yours is that much lower then? Huh. Yeah, it, it is a little bit lower. I I didn't nail um, you know, I've got that whole new setup and uh, I I'm still dialing in my numbers, so uh, I I didn't nail what I was shooting for. I was shooting for about four, so I was a little under. But um, honestly, from a, a Cascale perspective, I am happy with a three eight, three nine beer. That's yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah, I think a little a little carbonation go a long way for 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 your beer. Right. And if you if you brew it again again, I'd eliminate the pale chocolate completely. Go with something else if 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 you if you're convinced they have something. But it's only about one percent. I'm surprised how much it uh, cuts through. I don't know. I just that was the first note I got was roasted coffee. Like it's yeah. really prominent both in the nose and the taste. It's pretty shocking actually. Yeah, well, I was real. I was really surprised and, and it could be that we're doing a side-by-side with london pride that it just sure. makes it that much more obvious which i mean i haven't had the opportunity yet to try it side by side i was kind of holding on to my bottles for today so i'm very happy with the beer i've i've definitely been um waiting for february 1st for uh, the end of dry month for me um this is work but uh anyway, yeah, let's you're out. You're, i mean five pints uh yeah, yeah. dry week is over i got uh, well, I got, dry week dry month dry yeah. i don't know if you saw it, but uh mr lactose himself was doing dry january he caped tonight as well so yeah, uh, you went, you know. all right let's uh move on to uh to nick's bitter yeah let's do it so what's really interesting about this beer so i just poured it off I, so I don't know if we've talked about this, but all three of us, we recently purchased a beer engine, I don't know, like a month ago, maybe, maybe yeah, earlier Christmas, we got them. Okay. And so we, you know, we've been playing around with that. So I feel like my beer off my branch is going to taste different than the ones I bottled for you guys, because right. I did not bottle the beer engine itself. I bottled off a, a tap. So I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. I'll just say my impressions about the beer. It's okay, but I think it has definitely has some issues in I'm welcome to some feedback because I'm trying to figure that out. Obviously, the recipe wasn't exactly what I had planned originally. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about it. So you said East Kent Goldings here? Yep. Uh, because it is fruit forward. 
Yeah, like, super- like it's so fruity and floral, and even in the even in the taste, I, I don't get any bitterness at all in this. Okay. And um, maybe a hair of like a candied fruit. Yeah, it's it is. Um, I don't want to say it's sweet because I, I don't think it's sweet. But if it had sweetness to it, if it had sugar, it would be a really sweet, like fruity sweet beer. But it's, uh, I get so much of that fruit forward hop character, which I'm surprised with East Kent Golding. I don't use it enough, but I, I didn't realize it, it would impart those types of characters. You'd be surprised. East Kent Golding, it, a lot of people think of it sort of floral herbal, but I actually get a lot of like dirty orange, almost bergamot out of it. Oh, that is and, literally yeah. what I smell. Yeah. Literally, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and like I said, this remember this one was this one was dry hopped with half an ounce. So I'm not surprised it's really coming through. I actually really enjoy it. It is so different than the other ones. Yeah, you know, I think that the fruit character on it is so prominent that it needed or needs a little bit more bitterness. Okay. What, what, what IBU did you hit with this? Oh man, it's a really good question. Because I feel like it's. Not enough. 20 or less. Okay. It's, I want to say it was it's probably supposed to be 25 to 30, but I, I, I can't recall off the top of my head. I have to look. Yeah. I, I'm going to, um, uh, you know, at some point, I'm going to actually top off my Fuller's London Pride with yours because I think if you blended Ooh. them together, they're going to be really <laughs> fucking good. This, um, is the, this is the advantage of pouring five beers at once. You can yeah, do some blending. I'm going to be able to experiment a little bit yeah, yeah. Uh, because I do. I actually really love that character that the East Kent Golding is is giving because I've, I've not really played with it enough. Um, so now it's got me thinking about stuff that I'd want to use it for. Uh, if you had that bit of bitterness to balance it out, this thing would be fucking awesome. Good. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, East Kent Golding, I mean, it's sort of the, the gold standard as far as English beers. I mean, when, when you think of English beers, I feel like that's the first hop that comes to mind. And for good reason. There's just so much character to it, especially compared to something like Thuckles or Willamette, where it's more earthy or herbal. You get this fruity floral component with East Kent Goldings that is really hard to replicate. There's not too many hops. In fact, I think at one point I was looking for alternatives, and man, there really, there really isn't. It's very unique for what it is. And there's a few Goldings hops, right? There's East yeah. Kent Goldings, Styrian Goldings. And that's that- a that's a Slovenian hop, I believe, yeah. and that's more common. And it's it they use it in English beers, but they use it a lot in I think Belgian beers as well. Oh yeah, all right. So I I, I did my blend here, and I did um, you know two fingers of each um, into a glass, and man, fire. Yeah, it's good. Right, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> oh, like fire. Now this is what I'm talking about. You know, speaking of like beer blending, I was uh, watching a video recently of uh, Alchemist. Um, uh, John Kimmick was talking about how they blend their batches of Heady Topper for consistency. I'm not surprised at that because batch to batch of Heady, it's basically the same beer all the time. I don't think it ever changes. Yeah, it's pretty consistent. Um, So for those out there, like blending isn't even not that rare in the uh, craft brewing world. I have to say, this blend that you just suggested is a banger. Holy it is wow! So fucking good. It's <laughs> yeah, really so good. good. It's really good. Man, yeah, I got like the I got the best of both of them. Mm-hmm. So the um, it, it kind of added that uh, hop complexity to the London Pride, and the London Pride added the bitterness balance. It is fucking good. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, and London Pride. I mean, they use a 
really quite the mix of hops too. I, I forgot they use Target, Goldings, Challenger, and North Down. So it's there's already a lot going on in that beer. Phil, did you do this blend? I, I did. Yeah, yeah, it is really good. I, I'm just gonna call myself a sommelier of beer now. Is that what is that? <laughs> I, mean, I know that we have the fucking Cicerones, but master, this is your uh, master blender. Master yeah, blender. I, you are a master blender. blender. Yes, yeah, that's really good. So yeah, overall, I mean. Yeah, we've had some really great beers tonight, and I think it helps showcases the world of bitters out there. I mean, get out there and try these beers. They're they're yeah. incredible. Yeah, we are uh, direct, speaking directly to the masses that are drinking these uh, strictly dessert beers all the time, uh, that you guys are uh, really missing out if you're not taking the the chance to start testing out these other styles of beer because there's some really amazing stuff that's out there now we uh, showcase three commercial examples that you can get two of these you can't you can if you ask us nicely Uh, but two exceptional classic examples of english bitters in the london pride and the boddingtons Uh, so you guys can go out there and get them they're really affordable Uh, but you know the message here is just to get out there and and step outside what you're drinking every single day and try something different there there's a lot of theory on your palate kind of getting stressed out or uh, getting a little too used to uh, the beers that you drink so mixing up your styles will actually let you go back to those new england ipas and those milkshake ipas and probably enjoy them more uh, because you allow your palate to uh, sort of reset itself but you're missing out if you're not trying these things uh, these beers are awesome we love them uh, we, we're looking forward to do a lot more of this type of experiment with you guys and talking through uh, a beer style where we blend the commercial examples with the homebrew examples because this is a lot of fun and, and I love just talking beer with you guys. And like I said earlier, uh, I need reasons to drink five beers on a Monday night and this is a great reason to do that. All right, guys, thanks again for joining us for this first ever Bitter Off. We've got another one of these Beer Off episodes planned soon, so stay tuned for that. Next week on the show, we will have Brett back to finish the conversation into his journey as a pro brewer, and specifically, we'll dig into his plans as a new home brewer. That's next week on Strike Mash Boil. The Strike Mash Boil podcast is produced by the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, an American Homebrewers Association sanctioned club. Follow us on Instagram at MVHBC. Join the conversation in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash MVHBC. And check out our website at MVHBC.com. <laughs>